0: All right. Acts chapter ten tonight. Acts chapter ten. We'll be going verse by verse through the whole chapter. And of course, so far, you know, the book of Acts has been very interesting, a lot of great, exciting stuff. But we're just starting to get to the stuff I've been really anxious to get to. There's certain chapters that I'm always excited more excited about preaching than others. And we're getting into some of the interesting ones where uh hopefully if you pay attention to these things, it will help you. um understand a lot of things doctrinally, answer some difficult questions that come up. It's very important that we know the book of Acts very well. There's a lot of really key things in here. And what we're about to see here in chapter 10, so if you remember just a little bit of review, in chapter um, 7 is where we see the stoning of Stephen, which I believe signaled the end of God dealing with Israel. And then the very next chapter we see... Um, uh, or we see Saul mentioned at the end of that chapter 2. And then in chapter 8, we see the gospel going to the Samaritans. Then in chapter 9, we see the conversion of Saul. And Saul is going to be the guy who God uses more than anyone to reach the Gentiles. So here we are in chapter 10. And what we're about to see is the the beginning of the Gentiles getting in on the kingdom. And... What I've heard some people refer, or what they like to call, instead of like replacement theology or whatever, but they'll call it like Gentile inclusion, is what they call it. Because really, what we have clearly been looking at through the book of Acts so far, everything that has been preached since the time of Christ, it's been for Israel to Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises to you, Israel. And, but then, but Israel, they rejected it, and then we see, God reveals that, you know what, it's not just for Israel, it's for everyone. And we're including the Gentiles in this covenant. And so we're not seeing, you know, what the dispensationalists teach is that the stoning of Stephen, that's when God kind of put Israel on hold and then decides to go to the Gentiles. No, that's not what happened. What we see happening is, you know, in, uh, at the stoning of Stephen, that's when the kingdom is officially and fully taken away from the Jews, and then we see God reveal his plan that was from the foundation of the world to go to the Gentiles. And we're not we'll review a little bit of this as we go through the message tonight, but if you listen to one of my sermons on Ephesians one one or three, one, two, or three. I probably covered a little bit in all of it. It makes it very clear it was always God's plan. It was always God's intention to Not switch to the Gentiles, but include the Gentiles in the original covenants and things. So in verse one, we'll go and start reading through. It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Now, we don't know that much about Cornelius's life, his background, his experiences, What made him interested in the things of God? The Bible does not tell us all that, but it would appear that, you know, he is somebody who's stationed in Israel. He's working amongst the people of Israel, and it looks like he heard about the true God during that time. It's it's clear he has a knowledge of God, but he does not have a complete understanding of God, and he does not know about Jesus Christ, and it was necessary for him to know about Jesus Christ in order for him to be saved. Because notice all of these things he mentioned. He's a good man. He fears God. Not only that, his house does too. He's commanding his house to fear God. He's giving alms to the people. He's doing all the things that people just kind of naturally think you're supposed to do in order to go to heaven. He's doing good works. He's being good. He's giving to people. But notice this guy was not saved by that stuff. You know, he's doing good, but he's not saved He needs to hear about Jesus. And so I think the key thing that we see, though, in his life that made the difference, you know, while he had not done what needs to be done to be saved, because nobody can do those works, we do see he was somebody whose heart was in the right place, though. And a lot of people, they do the things that are commanded in the Bible, you know, a lot of times to make themselves look good. I don't think that was the case with Cornelius. I don't think he was doing out of pride. I think he was just doing what he thought was best in his own misguided way. And so even though in his heart he's trying to do the right thing, nobody gets to heaven without faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody. And so verse 3 says, He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before god so while this did not save him and it it would not save him because there's a lot of prideful people who do those exact same things too and god doesn't speak to them god doesn't even regard their offerings but i do i believe god did not not necessarily notice the specific works but i think he understood his heart and when god saw that his heart was in the right place he was somebody who was looking for truth you know god made sure he got someone to him and so verse five says, And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now, have you ever thought about this? Why couldn't the angel have just told him how to get saved? you ever thought about that? Is an angel not capable? But you know what? God doesn't use angels for that. That's not what God has chosen. God has chosen us. Okay, We're the ones... That are supposed to be preaching the gospel. And even though an angel spoke to this guy, I mean, an angel could have easily said. You know, he could have just given him the plan of salvation and told him about Jesus. It's not what, that's not what he wanted. That's not how God does things. And you know what? We all think, well man, I'd get saved, you know, every lost person would probably say, I mean, if an angel came and told me, I'd, I'd believe. But, you know, the truth is you wouldn't. And that's not what God uses. So, uh, somebody has to give this guy the gospel. He's not going to get his, get saved just because his heart's in the right place. And to me, this is one of the best proofs, too. I'm hearing more and more people teach this, and I think this is a terrible heresy, but a lot of people, through a butchering of Romans chapter 2, and I'm not going to go into Romans chapter 2 and how they're totally destroying the Scripture there, but through a, a very bad interpretation of Romans 2, are teaching that some people in some parts of the world could potentially get saved by their conscience without knowing about Jesus Christ. I think that's absolute garbage. And a lot of people are teaching that. And if that were the case, Cornelius is somebody that would get saved. He would have already been saved. This guy's doing the best he can. There's no doubt his heart's in the right place. But God found it necessary to have someone tell him the gospel. And so it's it's not going to happen. If somebody doesn't go and tell these people in these other countries about Jesus, they're going to go to hell. Oh, but what if their government won't let them? You know what? Those governments are sending their people to hell. They are wicked governments. And, you know, people get the governments they deserve. And that's another subject for another day. But if you ever hear somebody bring that up, you need to talk to them about Acts chapter 10. Because Cornelius was not saved yet. So verse 7, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two out of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while his, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And I don't want to talk about this, but if you go back and listen to my sermon on counterfeit spirituality, uh, I explain how just because Peter went to a trance, this is not giving us permission to go seek some new age freak that will put us in a trance to help us get a vision or something like that. All right. Anybody advertising, helping you to be able to go into a trance or know that knows how to put themselves into a trance, run from them, run screaming from them. Okay. If God ever puts you into a trance, great. You know, I hope you see something really cool, but you know, what? we don't see Peter seeking to go into a trance. I wish the Lord would do that for me. But I'm not going to go try to make it happen tonight. Okay? Don't, and don't let people use this verse as an excuse to get caught up in a weird New Age foolishness that is a counterfeit and doesn't even resemble what we see in the Bible. Verse 11, so while Peter's in his trance, he says, I, "...and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things." and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So three times he sees the same vision where these animals that a Jew would never eat God's telling them, kill and eat. And you know what? This verse should make all of us say, amen. Right there. This is, this is a great verse right here. But you know, this verse can be a little difficult for us as Gentile Christians to grasp because, you know, we've all, you know, we've always ate whatever we wanted. We've always ate pretty much any meat. We take this kind of thing for granted. But Peter, who had his entire life religiously abstained from unclean animals, you know, this is an abomination to him. And even when this angel's telling him to do it, he's like, I'm not doing that. Right? This was a part of his religion. This was something he had done his entire life, and the thought of it was repulsive to him. But understand, this is the, 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5 has not been revealed yet. This is God revealing it. 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 5. says talks about those forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So, this is good news. Any Jew ever wants to come and get on you for eating ham or something like that, you know what? You're all good. As long as you're thankful for it, and as long as you sanctified it with prayer, by the Word of God in prayer, it's good to pray over your food and ask God to bless it. He blesses it, and we're supposed to receive it with thanksgiving. And let me tell you something, I'm pretty good at that. I, I, I have a practice of praying before I eat, and I am just naturally very thankful for meat when I eat it. I, I, I'm always happy when I, you know, I have to eat an animal pretty much every day. And, and I enjoy it, and it gives me good feelings. And so, so, and I'm glad we've never worried about this stuff. You know, when I see meat during fellowship, I don't ask what kind of meat it is. You know, I, you, know it's, you know, especially for religious purposes, I'm not worried about defiling myself. But imagine when you're from a people where these things, and they were to be an abomination to them. Okay, it wasn't the same as like what we see where there were things in the Bible that were an abomination to God like the sodomites and people often bring well you know it was an abomination to eat shellfish too that's what they want to say all the time no it was to be an abomination to them why because they were supposed to abstain from those things it was a part of their separation as a people of god it was one of the ceremonial things he gave them and so god didn't want them having that around them at all it was an abomination to them but you don't see those things being referred to as an abomination to god like you do with the sodomites so don't ever fall for that foolishness uh, that's just people trying to justify the most disgusting of sins today. So, verse 17, it says, now, uh, so ultimately, though, while it is being revealed during this time that, you know, it's okay to eat other animals, remember, when the veil of the temple rent, I think it was immediately okay for them to start eating other things. But they don't know that yet. Up to this time, they are probably still practicing, they are still practicing all of their dietary things. It's being, it's being revealed, these things that are changing. So don't ever let some Hebrew roots person go to the book of Acts and show where they're still practicing this stuff and act like we're still supposed to be doing it. It's like, well, it's in the New Testament. God revealed these things over time. And God, and so ultimately though, while it's being revealed about the meat, God's ultimately trying to show them something about the Gentiles. That's what this is really about, and so it says. Now, while Peter doubted himself, what the vision he had seen should mean? Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So he doesn't know what this vision means yet. And it says, and it says, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. So he's so while he didn't know what it meant, he's about to find out because God is about to make a major. Revelation, a major dispensation is about to be given to Peter that would literally change the world. That would completely change the world. This chapter is a big deal. This event was a very big deal. And that's why we're going to see a miracle take place. That's why we're going to see tongues being spoken of. This is a really big deal, what's going on here. This is a major event. So verse 19, while Peter thought on the vision... The Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So God gave Peter this vision, because he was about to reveal something to them that was in the Old Testament, but it was hidden from their eyes up until that point. First Peter one nine says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. While the prophets wrote about the salvation that they received in the New Testament, they wrote about it, but they were just writing what God told them to write. They didn't understand it, but they looked into it. They looked into it just like we look into the book of Revelation and we try to figure out what's to come for us. They looked at the things that God had given them about the salvation that we all, we know all about it now. We understand it, but they didn't understand it back then. And so now we can go back and look at those Old Testament Scriptures, and you know, we understand them better than they do. We understand, you know, there's, there's Scriptures in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of those books that we understand better than the guys who wrote them. Why? Because God had them write it then, but He hadn't revealed it yet. And it was, it's been revealed in these last days. Hebrews three one says for this cause I Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy prophet, apostles, and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God unto me by the effectual working of his power. So did the Gentiles replace the Jews, or did they get included with the Jews? They got included. Okay. What got? It's, it's important we understand what got replaced. Okay. The old covenant got replaced with a new covenant. The the kingdom was replaced with the administration. Uh, the those who were in charge of the things of God. It, it went from Jerusalem. It went from a physical people to a spiritual people. But those of Israel who were obedient to the Word of God, who accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, they they held on to all the things that were promised to them, and then we definitely didn't replace those people. We did not replace Paul and Peter and the disciples. We didn't replace any of those Jews that got saved and, and were able to hold on to their covenant. But we were included with them, weren't we? Same body, fellow heirs, the, all those promises that were to them, we are a part of that. So it's very, And th- that's one of the biggest things that our opponents do not understand about what we teach, and sometimes maybe we're bad at articulating it. I'm trying to get better at these things. I don't want I don't want to give people the wrong idea. But something that is important that we understand about this ministry of the Gentiles is that it was something that the dispensationalists, especially, they kind of exclusively credit it to Paul. Okay, but in reality, the ministry or the uh, the gospel going to the Gentiles, it was actually started by peter but later it was commissioned to paul by the apostles it's important we understand this too because you have people in the dispensational world who try to act like well the apostle paul he wasn't one of the twelve matthias was the twelfth that replaced judas the apostle paul was the 13th apostle he had a completely different ministry to the gentiles because the jews kind of still have their thing so that's what they do they try to separate paul from the other apostles But, notice what it says in Acts 15. I'm looking forward to getting to this chapter. But in Acts 15, verse 7, it says, And when there had been much disputing, and this is over a lot of things, because now that people are understanding, hey, these dietary things don't matter, as they're starting to figure out the things that are going away from the Old Covenant, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of disputing going on. People don't understand everything right away. You know, Paul's epistles have not been written yet. The book of Hebrews has not been written yet. So there's a lot of disputing going on. But it says, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the Gospel and believe. So who did God use to originally get the Gospel to the Gentiles? It was Peter. God revealed this through Peter. Peter did it first. But here's what happened. If you go on read in Acts, it tells us more briefly... In Galatians 2, it says in Galatians 2, 9, And when James, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. So notice that so God originally used Peter to reveal this truth about the Gentiles, to preach, he was the first one to preach to the Gentiles, but Paul was commissioned by the church in Jerusalem, by the other apostles to focus his ministry on the Gentiles while they focused on getting to the Jews that were scattered all over the world. So uh, right there, that kind of shows Paul's inclusion with the other apostles and showing too that he didn't have just this completely separate ministry. No, they're all doing the same thing. They're just focusing on a different group. It would be just like, you know, if we go and we, you know, we send out a missionary, we send out an evangelist, you know, to focus on a certain area, you know, it's a part of the same ministry. They're just focusing on a different part of the world or different people. If we have somebody, you know, we we, ha- we were using Brother Hugo for a while to minister to the Spanish speaking people, you know, we commissioned for that. It was all our ministry, but obviously he was going to be used more in that area because, you know, he's got the ability to speak Spanish, but we wouldn't, we didn't, we didn't see them as like a completely separate thing, a separate group. It was still a part of our church is the same thing back then. So verse 21, but it's, it, you know, and we'll say more about that when we get to those chapters, just kind of showing how all that came to be. But I just wanted to briefly touch on that to show that it was originally Peter that, that started the ministry to the Gentiles. So it says in verse 21, then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God and of good report among the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them and on the morrow, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and had called, he had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And I love this because Cornelius, he wasn't just a good man, but it said earlier he commanded his house. But after he has this vision and he understands God's about to do something. God's going to send somebody who's going to come and speak words to me. And Cornelius, he came with an attitude, I'm doing whatever he says. And not only that, he got his entire house. He got all his family, and he said, you be here, God is sending somebody, we're going to hear what he has to say, and we're going to do what he says. Man, we need more men like that. We need more heads of households like that that will be that same way. Well, you know, that's how we ought to be when we come to church. You know, we ought to come to church ready to hear the words of God. Ready to see that Bible open up and when you learn something, your attitude will be, that's what we're going to do. Boy, that's, that, that's the attitude people need to have today. But it's like, I, you know, that most people come to church today with this attitude, I dare you to try to tell me what the Bible says. And then you tell them what the Bible says, that's just one verse. You know, I need several. Oh, and by the way, don't you dare tell me to be obedient in something if you're disobedient in some other area because then you're a hypocrite like really so we can only preach the bible if we're perfect you know that just that we can't preach against anything now you know obviously we're not trying to be hypocrites but you know nobody's going to be perfect but what is it that everybody does when you preach something they don't like when you call out one of their sins you know they'd find a way to label you as a hypocrite It's the way it's always been that wasn't Cornelius' attitude and so in verse 25 as peter was coming in cornelius met him fell down at his feet and worshiped him but Peter took him up saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And you know what, Cornelius here, he doesn't know any better. Hey, Cornelius is a Gentile. That's how they are. They, they worship people like they should. We're going to see later where people were worshiping Herod. When he's speaking, he is the, it's the voice of a God, not of a man. And Herod, he ate it up. Herod loved it. That's the way the Gentiles were. They did very misguided things like that. But you know what? You know, Peter, he straightened them out on it. Cornelius, he didn't know any better. And that's another thing we've got to remember. As our country gets more and more wicked, as it gets more and more pagan, people are going to have more and more issues when they come into the church. There was a time in churches where it was, it was like a shocking thing. And it was like a scandalous thing if like a couple came into the church that was shacking up. Because you know, our country was very Christian and just people didn't do that kind of thing. But, you know, and and you say, well, should we let people into the church now that are living in fornication? And I don't believe they ought to be members of the church, but I do think it's okay to let them come and to learn and we can try to preach to them, try to be a blessing to them, try to straighten them out. They're going to have issues because our world thinks nothing of people shacking up and living like animals. They don't think anything of that. And so we need to be merciful to them. We do need to correct them. But we need to do it in a loving way, in a caring way. I don't think Peter screamed at Cornelius when he said that. Get up! I'm a man too. What's wrong with you? I don't, th- I don't think he did it like that. I think he did it in a kind way. I'm a, I'm a man like you. This isn't, this isn't necessary. Cornelius doesn't know any better. He's a Gentile. Right? And today, you know, you can, we can just look at these people and the issues that they have and the junk that they do, and we can just say, you know what? They don't know any better. They're They're Americans. And, you know, that's one thing we're going to have to deal with more and more, too, is, you know, with all this gender identity issues and people can't figure out their sexual orientation, all that kind of stuff. You know, this stuff's being pushed so much. We're going to see more and more people who are maybe having issues with that stuff that aren't fully reprobate yet, you know, and we're always going to be against it. But at the same time, you know, we don't need to be real quick to write people off because our culture is it's so messed up. What do we think is going to happen with these kids that grow up around some of that, a lot of that stuff, being brainwashed in the public school? You know, and and you know, don't be too hard too on people who maybe sympathize a little. Again, imagine going to school, you know, in the public school and just being taught that your your entire life, and watching the news, watching television. What do we think they're going to think? And so we need we do we do need to be merciful. And a little understanding. But it's getting out of control. My wife is just telling me that in Ireland, they're like doing some class about pornography in the public schools there now. I, I just, why? You know, why? Our, our world is getting really wicked. And so we're going we're gonna to see weird things with people. Let's be merciful to them. Because there there's a lot of people, if somebody tells them the truth, they're going to get right. They're going to follow the Lord. There's a lot of Cornelius's out there. And it says, And he talked with them and went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter now understands this vision that he had. This was, at one time, there there was supposed to be a physical separation from the Jews and Gentiles, but God has broken down that wall. They just didn't know it yet. But Peter is now figuring it out. And so, when was the wall broken down? I believe the wall was broken down at the cross. That's what I believe. But when was it revealed? Acts 10. Acts 10 is when it was revealed. And this is... This is why we will constantly see Christians do things in the book of Acts that we now understand they really shouldn't have done. And we are. We're going to see, and, and, and I'm looking forward to these chapters where there was. There was a dispute. There was confusion. This is changing things. So it's like, you know, they're they're rethinking their theology when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Because again, Peter. He doesn't realize, he hasn't read any of the dispensational books yet. He doesn't think he's quit being a Jew at this point. He thinks he's still following the Old Testament, which he was. It was the other Jews that apostatized. He's doing what he was supposed to do as a Jew. He's being obedient to Moses. He's listening to Jesus Christ. And he's also still following many of those Old Testament customs that it has not been revealed, they are done yet it has that but it 's being revealed, so these are these are this is a major event that 's going to kick off a lot of changes in the church that have not taken place yet, and they weren 't said when I say they didn't they shouldn't have been doing it or whatever i don 't believe God was upset with them or they were in sin it hasn 't been revealed yet, but God is revealing it, so the dispensational mindset. You know, you want to look at kind of that nanosecond of when it all changed. Well, if we want to get technical there, it changed at the cross, but it doesn't really matter. You're not really accountable until it's revealed. And when it was revealed, that's when it mattered. And it's being revealed. It was a process how God revealed it. And it took a lot of time for them to sort all these things out. So verse 29 says, Therefore came I unto you without gain, saying, As soon as I was sent, I asked therefore... What intent ye have sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner, by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And, man, I love that attitude. I mean, that attitude, I don't know, we, ought, we ought to put that verse right over the door in there. That just needs to be, that, that should be your attitude. Every, every father, as they come walking through these doors, that ought to be their attitude. We're ready to do whatever God tells us to do. That, you know, That ought to be right above the shelf where you put your Bible. And when you read that Bible, you ought to have the attitude of Cornelius, whatever things are commanded of God, we're doing them. He didn't, he didn't have this attitude, well, I'm going to wait and see what he has to say first. That's how a lot of Americans are. That's how or a lot of American Christians are. We'll see what God has to say. I'll see if I like it, and then we'll do it. Cornelius just said, I want to hear what God says. And we're, already, and we're doing it. Decision's already made. I mean, what, a, what an amazing attitude that was. Verse 34, Peter's excited, okay? Preacher hears, we're ready to do whatever God says. You know what they do right immediately? They open their mouth, okay? It's the same thing you do when you go soul, and it's like, hey, would you like to know how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? When people are like, yes. That, that's the, isn't that the most exciting moment? Next to when they call on the Lord for salvation. Because when you see they're ready to hear, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good position, that's a good position. Sometimes they say it hesitantly and you don't know if they're really ready. But when you can tell that they want to hear what you have to say, it's a good moment. It's a good feeling. And you do, you, you get excited when that happens. They don't always get saved then, but usually, usually they do. So verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with them. Now, this verse right here is not teaching a work salvation, but it's showing that God views the works of the Gentiles, which is a revelation to Peter, the same way he he views the good works of the Jews. He does not look at us and decide how he is going to treat us based on our lineage. If he sees a Gentile doing something, God's going to react the same way as he would as if a Jew was doing something. There used to be a difference between us and them. But Peter now realizes God's not a respecter of persons. There is no difference. If he sees a Jew doing something good, you know, because they would see Gentiles do good things every once in a while, but they were still a Gentile. You know, they still didn't have claims of the things of the Jews. There was still a separation there. But all of a sudden, Peter's like, you know what? It's the same thing. It's the same thing when a Jew gets saved. It's the same thing. As when a Gentile gets saved, when a Gentile does something good, God is just as pleased as if it were a Jew. God doesn't care about that stuff. He hasn't read Larkin's Dispensational Truth yet. That, that, that hasn't come yet. But let me tell you, that kind of teaching did start coming in early in the church history. And they, they jumped all over that stuff. And, I, and we'll, we'll get to that. But verse 36, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus he is, tr- Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Now, I'd like to preach a whole sermon on this. I'm going to try to briefly cover this because this is controversial too. And so I got I to cover this quick and I probably won't be able to do it fast enough to keep myself out of trouble for some of the stuff I'm going to say. But just uh, ho- hopefully you'll hear me out on this. And if I need to preach a clarification or a damage control sermon, I will do that. All right, but uh, ho- hopefully this will be clear. What is this piece that Peter mentioned? Well, in Ephesians 2.13... Says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, Gentiles, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us. So Jesus is our peace. What peace? Peace between the Jews and the Gentiles, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. So the things that Jews used to look at Gentiles for, and it caused them to have enmity with them, Jesus has removed that. Now, why was there enmity? Because they're not keeping the law of commandments contained in ordinances. They weren't even able to. And so there was that enmity, there was that hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. For to make himself of twain, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God and to one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby now folks this enmity that he's talking about is alive and well all over this country today while at the same time it is completely absent here and i'll explain what that is here in a second but he goes well and and you know this passage he goes on to explain we both have access by one spirit to the father just showing how we are we are fellow citizens of the commonwealth of israel We are all of the same body. There is not the separate Bride of Christ, Gentiles, and then Bride for God, the Jews. Baloney, heresy, garbage. But also in Luke 10, we see peace mentioned. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. "...for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord, and there shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." Now, I've heard it preached before, and I used to believe this way, but after looking at the book of Acts and Ephesians and putting this all together, I realized, no, this isn't technically right. I've heard people say that this peace is talking about, this peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's not about peace between people and nations. It's about peace between man and God. But it's like, well, wait a minute. It's saying peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In other words, this peace that Jesus Christ brings. It's a peace that it brings to earth. It's something that causes goodwill toward men. You know, because again, and again, this, is, this might sound controversial, but diversity is very, very bad for a nation and society. It does not work without Christ. You all understand that? You know why there's so much hostility in this country? You know why there's so much fighting going on? You know why? Especially in cities, the most racially diverse places are the most violent places often. Why is that? You know why? Because when we have different customs, when we have different religions, when we have different ways of life, when we have different cultures, there's going to be clashes. Certain cultures don't like other cultures. That's the way it is. And that's why there's always been wars. That's why they're always been fighting. And so here in the United States, we've always been a melting pot, but we used to be a Christian nation. And so it was fine. And, but now we're throwing Christ out of everything the one who actually brings peace and goodwill toward men, the one who actually makes us capable of looking at people of other colors and other races and things and actually being brothers with them and actually being able to love them and having goodwill toward them. Jesus is the one that brings that. And when you're going to try to... You cannot mix people from all different cultures and races and creeds and all these different things and expect them to get along unless they have Jesus Christ. And that is why in our church, we have no problem... And we're we able to get along with people of other races and colors. We can have that here. And there's there's no issue. It's not a problem. Why? Because Jesus causes us to have goodwill toward men. And so when we do, when we see people of other colors and things, we don't think anything of it. And so just understand... What we're seeing in our country as they promote more and more diversity while excluding Christ from everything, we will see more and more chaos. We will see more and more bloodshed. We'll see more and more just, you know, of what we're seeing on the news constantly. Jesus Christ is what gets rid of that. And uh, you know what? The world isn't going to like that, but it's just it's just a fact. You know, they always talk about, too, you know, why is it that America, why are we the ones that are having all the mass shootings and things? Okay. Well, first off, you know, a lot of countries don't have guns, and they probably would. But even ones that do, you know, uh, when you have certain cultures are more peaceful than other cultures. You know, sorry, but, you know, some cultures are really laid back. Some are really high strung. Some are really violent. Some are really hostile. You know, our country, we've got everything here. So we are, there's some countries you can go to, there is violence and horrible things happening all the time. I mean, all the time. Genocide, disease, I mean, just horrible things all the time. Robbing, all the, all, it's, it's all over those countries. And then we think we're going to bring those cultures over here, not introduce them to Christ, and we think they're not going to have those problems just because now they're Americans. No, it, it's, it's not going to work. So yes, our country is always going to have a little bit of everything bad because we have a little bit of everybody over here. And some countries, they are, they're a little, you know, they're more peaceful than we are as a whole. But you know what? They'll never outdo this culture. You know, I mean, think think about it. You know, we get we get accused of promoting violence all the time, which is a lie, but yet we don't have any problems with violence here. You know, we've never had Problems with that kind of thing. Nobody in our church ha- has problems with, with that kind of thing. Why? Because we have Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes the difference. So again, I am for, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, don't, don't get, take this the wrong way. I, I love racial diversity. I think it's great. I think every church should have, you know, people of all colors. Because if our, comu- I, you know, if our community has people of all colors you know, and we're getting those people saved, you know, they have a place here just like anyone else. I don't believe we should have, you know, a black church and a Mexican church. The only reason we should have like another church is for language purposes. That, that's the only reason, just because they're able to understand it better. Otherwise, I think we should, I think we should all be together. But again, and if we exclude Christ, there's, there's going to be chaos, violence. It is not going to go well. So just, just mark it down. And, uh, yeah, so I, I could say a lot more about that. I mean, look, look at these Muslim countries, how violent they are. What do we think is going to happen when we bring a bunch of Muslims over here? They're going to bring some of that with them. Okay? Now, people said, people got really mad at Trump, too, back when I forgot, I forgot what specific incident it was in what country. But, you know, he, he wanted to mainly focus on letting the Christian you know, people from those country in. And they're like, that's just so, you know, racist and all that. You know, you can't do that kind of thing. It's like, why not? Christians aren't the violent ones. Okay? It's the Islamic terrorists. They're the violent ones. So, yes, I definitely think if we got to choose, all right, we've got to let a certain quota from this country in, I say we pick all Christians. Why? Because we don't want more violence over here. Those countries are falling apart for a reason. There's something wrong with their culture. There's something wrong with their gods. But every one of those people, if they will believe on Christ, they'll be just like the rest of us. They will. And we, we would include them. I would love nothing more than to see a bunch of Arab faces in this church. As long as they're Christians. I'd love to see that. But you know, there, we don't have that many around here. But, uh, and they're, they're, they're a hard people to reach. But you know what? If they had Christ in their heart and the Holy Spirit and they followed the things of God, you know what they won't do? They won't blow people up. <laughs> they won't. We're, we're not taught to do that. But let me tell you, do I want Islamic people in this church? No. They serve sort of a different God. You know, completely. Different. We're not going to get along real well. Our fellowships are always very peaceful around here. It's not going to happen if, if, we, if we let that in here. But people, you know, you have these all-faith churches. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. It, it, it doesn't work. But I really got sidetracked on it. I don't even know where we're at. I think verse 36. So what brings us all together is Jesus, not our Americanism. That doesn't do it. Acts ten thirty six the word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ he is Lord of all I am for peace but you know what don't ask me to do something that is impossible to do and you know what you can't bring peace anywhere without Jesus Christ can't do it but I am for peace but you know what I want to, if I'm going to work towards peace. I want to do work that counts, that matters, that will actually accomplish something. And so we're going to preach Jesus Christ. And you know what? Our country has failed trillions and trillions of dollars trying to help these Islamic countries be like our country. We have done everything for them. We have given them everything except Jesus Christ, and it has been a big, fat failure. It, was, it never had a chance. Never had a chance. We could give them our Constitution And it wouldn't work over there. You know why? Because they don't believe in our Creator. They don't have Jesus Christ. It will never work. So verse 37, "...the word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem." "...whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people, and to testify, that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins." And the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. And I believe this goes along with what Peter wrote about. I talked about this a while back when he talked to the spirits that were in prison and he also preached to the dead. And so I do. I believe the living or the quick here is referring to Israel, even though they were not saved. And then the dead was referring to the Gentiles and he preached to both of them. He is going to be the judge of both. He's not just going to judge Israel who were the people of God He's going to judge the whole world, and Jesus, because Jesus Christ is Lord of all, He's Lord of this whole earth, whether they recognize Him or not. He is their Lord, and so Peter, he just quoted Old Testament scripture right here in verse forty-three, that clearly was teaching something they did not understand until that day. In Romans ten eleven, it says, "For whosoever, or for the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on Him." shall not be ashamed. Now that was, that was an Old Testament scripture. They didn't understand that. So, when we look back at those Old Testament scriptures, like why were they surprised when Cornelius and his family got saved? They shouldn't have been. But it was. It was just one of those things that was hidden from their eyes. Verse 12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I believe this was referring to uh isaiah twenty eight sixteen, where it says therefore thus saith the lord god behold i lay in zion for a foundation a stone a tried stone a precious cornerstone a sure foundation he that believeth shall not make haste or be ashamed is what that means and how it's translated in the new testament and so that was that's an old testament scripture and when it said whosoever you know the gentile are they uh, jews i guess at one time looked at that like the calvinists look at whosoever today and they're like, well, you know, it means only the elect. You know, they thought, well, it only means the Jews, you know, whosoever of the Jews. Like the Calvinists, well, whosoever the elect. But then, no, God revealed, no, when I said whosoever, I meant whosoever. So there's always been debate over that word. The Jews didn't understand it, and the Calvinists still don't. Key is, you've got to get saved, and you'll figure it out pretty quick. But anyway, uh, that's, you know, always like an opportunity to take a shot at the Calvinists. But verse 44, while Peter was yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. They're like, God's doing the same thing with the Gentiles that He did with us? They were astonished at this. This blew them away. They were as shocked as we get shocked when we talk to somebody from a non-denom church and we find out they're actually saved. It's like, Whoa. Somebody got saved in a non-denom church? How did that happen? God's not a respecter of persons. I know they don't dress right. I know they play all the wrong music and do a lot of stuff wrong. But those people believed on Him. And as repulsed as we are by that you know, religious environment, if the people there will believe on Christ, He will save them even in their skinny jeans blows our mind that's how god's not respect he's not as prejudiced as we are verse 46 for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify god then answer peter so notice again the gift of tongues is being used when the gospel is first being revealed to a new group of people we saw it with the jews we saw it with the samaritans and now we're seeing it with the gentiles but you know what that now that there's all these witnesses among the people We've got witnesses among the Jews. We've got witnesses among the Samaritans. We've got witnesses now among the Gentiles. You know what? There's really no need for tongues. Tongues was something God temporarily used as he was revealing things. And those are early days. They are not something that are needed today. It's not, it is not necessary. So after they are speaking in tongues, after they hear this, then answer Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now, I don't believe when Peter asked this question, he was looking for permission from the Jewish believers. I don't believe that's what he's doing. But I believe he was asking this question. It was kind of a rhetorical question because it was crystal clear what God was doing or what God had done with the Jews. He's now doing with the Gentiles. And I think he just wanted to make sure all these witnesses that were with him, these Jewish believers that were with him, he wanted them to understand, hey, you all see what's going on here, don't you? This is exactly what happened with us. Am I missing something? Is there any reason for us to forbid water that these should be baptized? And you know what? Nobody had anything to say. You know what they did? They baptized them. And they were just as saved. They were just as Christian they had all the rights and privileges. They have the same inheritance. They are of the same body they, that, as these Jewish believers were. And this right here, this just opens up a whole new group that they can go to. And things are going to really get rolling in the church now. God's saving thousands and thousands of Jews. And then these Jews now, they're about they're literally going to turn the world upside down with with the gospel. And so this new revelation while this excited many, while it excited guys like Peter and I believe the people were with him, it didn't sit well with some other people. And this event and the new revelations that are that happen here are going to cause a lot of questions and we're going to see those questions get answered. We're going to see a lot of this in the next chapter. And often when we get one area of theology fixed, it ends up revealing Truths in many other areas or, or errors that we have in many other areas. It's always kind of like a domino effect, you know, and, um, and so it's always though when you, when you get something right that you had wrong before it does, it helps you have a fuller understanding of the Bible as a whole. If your new revelation that you got just made your Bible way more confusing, your revelation was probably wrong. Usually when something's right, it makes the rest of the Bible more clear. It clears up the difficult passages. And that's why, too, you don't want to always focus on the difficult passages. Focus on the simple, and then those will help you you understand the more difficult. That's that's typically the way it works. And so, um, you know, as we get things right in a church, you know, it will lead to that full understanding. But you know what else it does, too, when you get things right? it ends up causing you to weed out some of the tares in the church too. And that's what we're going to see happen in these next chapters. The devil, while God was doing a great work, the devil was doing a work too. And there were definitely some tares among the wheat. And as these different things start happening, as God starts revealing more and more truth and more doctrine, it turns out there were some tares in there. And they started getting exposed. And eventually, you know, we're going to see a you know, full-blown synagogue of Satan pop up. A lot of apostasy take place. But though that will come on a later week. So uh, hopefully this chapter, get you have a fuller understanding of that now. And thank God for the Gentile inclusion that we are. We are, we're not Jews in here. We don't have any lineage that we know anything about. But thankfully that stuff does not matter. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got Jesus Christ. And you know what? The more people we can get... To Jesus Christ you know that's just more family that's going to be more peace and Jesus Christ is the key to peace on earth he is the key so with that let's pray dear Lord we thank you so much for this amazing chapter and the amazing work that you did I pray Lord that uh, uh, things taught in this chapter uh, pray that uh, you'll help uh, you use them to help us have a fuller understanding of your work and everything that took place in the book of Acts and I pray you'll help us to uh, spread peace Uh, in this world by telling more people about you and reaching more people with the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen.